0: Welcome to Pop Culture on the Apricot Tree, where we talk about gospel insights through great stories and help you find entertainment that's both true and beautiful. I'm your host, Liz Busby. I'm a writer of science fiction and fantasy, a reviewer of books, and a Latter-day Saint, and with me today is Carl.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Carl Cranny. I have a PhD in religion, and I've written uh, on the intersection of religious themes and pop culture, and I'm happy to be back uh, once again.
0: Yeah, we may have to make Carl... uh co-host he's been here so often um yeah, too. and uh we also have ivan with us today will you introduce yourself
2: i'm ivan wolf i teach english at arizona state university and i publish a lot in philosophy and pop culture books so my most recent one was on the princess bride and philosophy so about that more on aristotle
0: oh okay. nice nice aristotle's great that would He's be a moron well okay true <laughs> true well only <laughs>
1: compared to Vizini. yes true of yes
0: of course um okay so we always open with our best book segment where each of us recommends something we're reading watching or listening to right now um my recommendation today kind of goes with um what we're going to talk about today, but it's a book called The Cunning Man by DJ Butler and Aaron Michael Ritchie. Um, It is a fantasy novel set in 1930s Utah, and it poses that seer stones are magical and there's lots of shaking hands with familiar spirits and just takes the the folklore of early mormonism and turns it into a magic system in utah and it's really fascinating and i think it goes well with um the piece of media we're going to talk about today. Carl, what have you got for us?
1: So, i actually have something that i'm going to formally warn people away from and not recommend, well or rather half and half. Um I am a, a Critical Role fan, and I have been for some years now. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, a couple of years ago, a bunch of voice actors uh, who were playing Dungeons & Dragons decided to start streaming their game, and it went gangbusters. Like, last year, they were the number one Twitch streamer on the entire platform. They make millions of dollars just playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And because oh, they're all voice okay. actors... Yeah, it's it's crazy, but it's, but it's like long form improv storytelling in a fantasy world. Like it is, it is really amazing to watch their stream, but they recently launched their, the legend of Vox Machina based on their first campaign. It's like the number two or three show on Amazon prime right now because they have connections in the industry. Of course they can easily sort of, they did a Kickstarter that made like 11 or $12 million and, and they funded a show based on their first campaign. And it's, it's terrible. Uh I, I do not, I mean, the, 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 the animation is great. The storyline is fun. The voice acting is amazing. But when there's like maybe a couple of hours of naughty shenanigans in like a 400 hour campaign, you can deal with Uh that. When you have a, four-hour TV show and there's one hour of naughty shenanigans, it's, it ruins the whole thing. And so I'm officially not recommending it. I did go read their comic books. I do recommend those. Those are much more fun. And there aren't uh, naughty shenanigans in them. So there's there's my take there.
0: Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. My boys are super into Dungeons & Dragons too. Um, so maybe I, the comic books, not the show. Got it.
1: Yeah, not the TV show. The stream... You will have mixed results on, yeah. um, but it's improv. So, but it is, yeah. So, so it's just there. It's three very different mediums all trying to tell the same story, and it works well in two of them. It would have worked well had they not allowed the one character to just be so raunchy all the time in the Ugh. TV show. So there you have it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's frustrating. Ivan, do you have something for us today?
2: Yes, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. Apologies to anybody out there who actually speaks Japanese. But I've been reading a lot of Japanese texts in translation lately. And currently I'm on the Hagakure, H-A-G-A-K-U-R-E. I probably totally butchered that. and I'm going to get hate mail now. But um, <laughs> it's a book of samurai wisdom that was actually considered lost for a while. And just a lot of, it's just really fascinating. A lot of stuff that's like really great advice, like, you know, when you feel like you're in contention, just go home and think of poetry instead. Don't get in arguments. It's like, okay, that's probably a good idea. But then there's also like, daughters are terrible, don't have any, and if you do, just ignore them. So it's like, okay, (laughs) wait, you know. So it's just this really interesting, like back and forth of like how to be a samurai, but um, just sort of a picture into a different world and window. So I'm enjoying it a lot, so.
0: Interesting to see which things are timeless and which things are not so
1: much. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I read the Benedict option uh or uh, sorry the the St Benedict's not the Benedict option the book but the actual book by St Benedict on how to run a Christian monastery and it was really okay, interesting yeah. to to see like oh this is some pretty like stuff that is useful for us Christians in the to, in the in 2022 and then other stuff I was like mm, probably not going to incorporate that particular way of reading the Psalms daily into my life. Uh, Cause I'm not a, you know, Benedictine monk. You're not going
2: to, you know, get up and pray, sing this chant seven times a day. Yep. <laughs> Never get more than like two hours of sleep at a time. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> There's the life for you. <laughs> oh man. Well, so our main topic today, we're talking about the film Noah. It, that was released in 2014 about Noah and the flood. Um, I hadn't seen this one before Carl brought it up as a good idea to do for a podcast. And I loved it. I did not expect to like it as much as I did. Um, probably because it has a little bit of a, a fantasy flair to it. I feel like it feels. Yeah. Really I.
2: There, there was one critic. It's funny is it because it actually convinced me to watch it. He was actually trying to tear the movie apart and he actually, most of the review, he just just, just shreds it. But at the beginning, he said, if you want material for Dungeons & Dragons campaign, this is a good movie to watch. And I was like, okay, I'm sold.
1: <laughs> so. it's like it someone, really does though. Someone trying to convince you and using the exact wrong argument, that's that's perfect. Um, I mean, so. I, I recommended it because I, I sort of came to it um, sight unseen, I went and saw it in the theater um, with my stake president at the time, and, and he Oops. didn't really like it. And I, I was a little iffy on it, but it was only afterwards when I like went and read up on these things that, that I realized that, that, first of all, that Darren Aronofsky, the director, also directed The Fountain, which is a really good movie, but from a Buddhist point of view – and this is like the flood from a from a really Jewish point of view, bringing in lots of Jewish apocryphal texts and things, and and uh, the. But well, his
2: first movie was called Pi, like the mathematical symbol right? Pi, mm-hmm. and it's Kabbalistic, like Jewish Kabbalistic, pretty yeah. much, yeah, yeah, like he, the whole thing. So yeah, he
1: is always swinging for the fences, and he doesn't always get there. But I appreciate that. I appreciate his trying. The interesting thing about this book is this, this, or this movie, this, that it's been rattling around in his head since like fourth grade. And I don't know if you noticed in the movie, there's a moment where, where, you know, Russell Crowe's character, character, Noah is, is going through the cities of men. And there's like a woman who comes out randomly. And it's like, you. he kind of, she kind of points at him. That's Darren Aronofsky's fourth grade teacher. Like he put her in the movie because she yeah, was the one I who first that. gave him an assignment to analyze the Noah flood story in the, in the Bible. And, and uh, he's been pondering it ever since. So she has a cameo. I thought that was really interesting.
2: I mean, I, I say, I love the Noah movie for like, for all the wrong reasons, but I just absolutely love it. I'll watch it anytime pretty much, even though I think it's kind of a failure, but it's, it's like, like you said, he swung for the fences. I mean, he just, it was so amazing and everything. It's like, I think every time he had a choice to make, he sort of, I think he made to me, Sort of made the wrong choice, but they did it in such a fascinating way that it was like still interesting. So,
1: so for you, it um, failed in sufficiently interesting ways.
2: Yes, yeah, so it it failed, but it kept failing in, in in such great ways that it was like, okay, I got to just keep watching and see what's going to go next. And so at the end, I was like, that was great. I got to watch it again. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it I liked that it didn't feel like the same Bible movie that you've seen before. It really it took liberties with the material, which Made some people Wait. mad, but it that also made it more interesting because it wasn't just, like, going through the rote. This is the Noah story. These are the beats it's going to hit. I already know. It hits the beats in surprising ways. Like, you get to the end where Noah is drunk at the end. I was like, they incorporated that Noah's supposed to invented have invented wine. Like, I didn't know that was going to end up here. Like, it, it just looks like well, he's, he's,
2: he's, he's all over the place. I mean, he's incorporating stuff from, like, Book of Enoch, from Gnostic texts, from Kabbalah. I mean, he's like all over the place. I mean, he just sort of like grabbed everything and just threw it all in and mixed it up. And I mean, he changed a lot, like with the Watchers. I mean, that's straight from the Book of 1st Enoch, but it's not anything like really what's in the Book of 1st Enoch, Yeah. other than, you know, maybe there's a brief reference in in the Book of 1st Enoch where it says the Watchers were punished and they were cast down and the translation is different whether it's over or covered, whether they were put on top of or whether they were covered with rocks and veiled in darkness, which is supposed to be more like they were just sent to hell is, is what it is. But I mean, that idea like where you take the translation where it says covered with rocks and veiled in darkness, that kind of works. But in the movie, they're, they're punished for giving humans technology, whereas in, in Enoch there, they give humans the weapons of war, but the real reason they're punished is because they had sex with a bunch of women. And produced these like you know horrible offspring that were, you know. So it's like he took the sort of the idea of these fallen Watcher angels, but then just went in a really different direction with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: for sure. I find so. I actually find their story a part of the like that sort of subplot. One of the most compelling mm-hmm. parts of the movie these these beings who had pity on on fallen man and. And really got put through the ringer for defying the Creator, um, and it's interesting. I don't know if any of you noticed, like the word God never shows up in the entire movie. It's always oh, yeah. the Creator. Um, and and the moment where they're, they're they're fighting all the humans, and then the, the, the first angel dies and ascends to heaven, and the rest of them are like, our moment of redemption is here. Aww. And and I just I really I I liked. The story, the story of um, of their 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 hubris, their fall, but ultimately the creator brings them home and and redeems them. And I really like that, even though it's weird that there are rock monsters talking to Noah. Whatever. Yeah,
0: and it makes it makes the it's the turning point in the theme of the movie, right? Because up to this point, we have Noah descending more and more into justice and exacting revenge on humanity, and then it's at this point when it's like. Oh, God is merciful. And then we we lead into the point where Noah chooses mercy over justice. And then he sees that God accepts
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a good point.
2: Well, yeah, I mean the, the uh whole the whole thing with them being the creator, that's that's almost I mean, like I said, it, it's not there's there's nothing in there that's straight. It's not straight Bible, it's not straight Kabbalah. it's not straight Gnostic. Like I've seen a lot of reviews where people are like, oh, it's preaching Gnosticism or whatever. It's like well, he's borrowing a few ideas, but the idea of it being the creator instead of God is actually straight from Gnosticism where there is a big difference between God and the creator. Like the the creator of the earth is a different being than God who doesn't really do anything with physical matter. So like that's I think that's actually borrowing from the Gnostic texts a lot. Some of the stuff with the Adam and Eve is also there too. But again, he's he's sort of like taking it but then using it as raw material rather than sticking to it. So Right, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really liked how they kept returning to the Adam and Eve thing. But that was something that worked really well with the visual medium, getting the little flashes of the Adam and Eve story in Cain and Abel, that it told you something mm-hmm. without telling you. Like we didn't have to have a big monologue about, oh, man has fallen. It just would be like, oh, remember this? And it's, it's nice to see a story that's taking advantage of its medium so well.
1: Right, which is which is a, a usually a, a point that people complain about. It's like, oh, this isn't the, you know the, the story as it is in the Bible, but you you always have to adapt something. Um, I I mean, everybody loves like the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt, um, but those are very very different takes on the same story from the Bible, um, and and like in one of them, right, the 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 conflict between. Pharaoh and Moses is like hubris, and there's a like the woman is who's involved in the Ten Commandments. And then a Prince of Egypt it's more like a a falling out between brothers and both perfectly legitimate uh interpretations of the the Exodus story, which doesn't have all that much detail in it. Um so you so you have to. I I'm never one who thinks that like, oh, they didn't stick to the text. Well they're gonna you're gonna have to make adjustments and uh I, I, there's not much
2: text there, although, right. yeah, I read one interview, with the screenwriter, and he's like, oh, but we stuck to it as close as we could, but, you know, sort of. even sort some of it. the stuff they changed, like, in the oh, Bible, God. all of Noah's sons have wives, like, that's actually one okay. of the things, like, where I think that, like, whenever he makes a choice, he does something that, like, fails, like, but, you know, so in the movie, there's that one spot where I was like, okay, you know, the son goes in, he finds that girl in the pit of bodies, gives her some food, they try to escape, and I... You know, I get why the director.
0: You think for sure that that's going to be it. Oh, this is how it's yeah, going like, to work okay,
2: out. Okay. So, you know, because it's like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's so little in the text, they have to obviously expand. So there, there's very few times they actually flat out violate the text. But that's one of the kinds where they just flat out violate the text. You're like, okay, here's how at least one son's going to get his wife. Nope, we're going to kill her off so we can show that Noah's gone crazy. But and, I think and that so, works. Well, to me, it was really interesting, it, but it was still, it's, I still think it was a failure.
0: Yeah, it is, a, it is a violation of the biblical text, but the reason it worked for me is because it is so shocking because you know it's supposed to end up that way, and then the text stabs you in the back because you had these expectations.
2: Yeah, so for, so for me, I mean, I don't mind adding and even twisting things or giving a viewpoint, but for me, it was just like, eh, no, I, I think they should have saved her just to stick as close as they could, but you know, that's just me. That's but To me, it was just like, it was a failure, but it was a really interesting failure because thematically, it, it, it highlighted a whole bunch of stuff. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I guess his his two sons are going to have to marry their nieces. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I think when you're doing an adaptation of a scriptural story, obviously you do have to change things. And it really depends on what your purpose is. Because we've seen like the church's Bible films, they're very careful to stick to only what's in the text and the Book of Mormon ones. And I think they're trying to make something that can outlast whatever current interpretation you have, right? You want these... All the money you spent filming the New Testament and filming the Book of Mormon films, you want that to last for 30 years before you have to make another one. And if you include lots of interesting twists and interpretations and then those don't age well.
2: Well, plus the, the church's videos are devotional. No, yeah, it's not true. a devotional work.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's a different thing. Because like, then you have works of entertainment that are still devotional. Like, You could argue that the Ten Commandments is still supposed to be... Pretty devotional, and something like the Chosen, right? The Chosen takes a lot of liberties, but it still has to stay true to the Bible story because it is trying to be a, a faith promoting.
2: Yeah, the Chosen is kind of like in that half thing between devotional and entertainment. Whereas Noah just went for entertainment. It just like went. I'm just going to go straight up, you know, Rocky World with with uh, special effects and and just have really cool battle scenes and not even care about the devotional stuff which is fine i mean if that's what the you know your vision is and the muse tells you to do then go for it <laughs>
1: i'm going to i'm going to disagree with your assessment that the spectrum is between entertainment and devotional like i well, one of the reasons a, i really so go ahead in, enjoy this 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 movie is because he's really trying to ask some good questions and and one of the questions is is man worth saving and because he doesn't want the creator to be like uh, a character who's, like, walking and talking or, or whatever, um, he has to put that theme, that sort of, that decision in Noah's hands, and, and that leads to some of the decisions he makes about, you know, the, the different wives and the fact that, um, you know, Ela is barren, uh, at least for, you know, first two-thirds of the movie, um, so, so that we can ha- ask the question, is mankind worth saving? And, and that's not devotional, but yeah. it's not strictly entertainment either. He's, he's meditating on that question, is man worth saving? Well, and and I find that it's a deeply fascinating cinematic meditation.
2: It's not mindless entertainment. I mean, there's there's mindless entertainment. Sure. I mean, for me, devotional, it's like something that's meant to increase faith and increase your devotion to a particular thing. Whereas Noah, he's going to try to get you to think about stuff, but he's not necessarily trying to necessarily get you to be more kabbalistic or anything, you know.
0: Yeah. Sure, sure 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 true true um, but i feel like this movie really captured lo- often we're when we read the old testament we're kind of upset about lots of people get destroyed in the mm-hmm. old testament over and over and over we have the flood we have sodom and gomorrah we have the israelites destroying all the canaanites we have lots of mass murder um and i think one of the things that this film really accomplished is to show like to really make you feel yeah i i want these people to be destroyed like this, this is bad. See, to like, me, that's. It really that's, makes you viscerally yeah. feel that in a way that you don't when you read the Bible.
2: See, to me, that's one of the more interesting failures of the movie is that I don't think it establishes that enough in the sense that, mm-hmm. um, like, other than the, the brief um, visit Noah has to the, the encampment outside, I mean, the, the, what, I, what I really wanted to see, honestly, was more world building in the beginning of the movie. I mean, we spent so much time in just mm-hmm. the desolate wastes which I can get why he chose that because he's trying to more focus on Noah and how it was appearing to Noah and his family. But other than that brief CGI globe covering where it shows all the cities sort of propping up, we don't actually get a real good sense of just how depraved, how wicked, how much awful the cities are, how much strip mining is really going on. We really needed to have like some scenes and some just, you know, huge empire, city towers, skyscrapers, whatever. You know, I, I just feels like it's sort of like off screen, all this bad stuff's happening. We never really see it, and until about halfway through the movie, we get a brief little glimpse of it. And then I was like, "Man, I just really wanted more evil." Honestly, <laughs> they needed to be more evil, and there needed to be more. It, there wasn't enough to me. Enough world building. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I thought his visit to the camp was pretty, pretty traumatic. Where you realize, you know, they're selling children for food.
2: Well, yeah. But that's, like, like, halfway through the movie. was cannibalism
0: aspect is pretty uh, brutal. And
2: I wanted that, like, earlier, because other than that, uh, up mm-hmm. to that point, you really only had Noah's word for it, and he wasn't really encountering, other than some raiders, basically, which, you know, in any post-apocalyptic wasteland, which is basically what they're wandering around in, you're going to run across raiders, and that doesn't necessarily mean the rest of the world's awful. So it's just, like, I just would have wanted that earlier in the film. Like, instead of just a brief CGI, cities popping up on a map, like, actually have... One of those cities and all it's, um, you know, whatever, gothic or grandiose or whatever, dark beauty or majesty or whatever. It just just wasn't there. It could have been like
0: where he finds his wife. That's what I was wondering about half the movie. I was like, where where did Noah find his wife oh, yeah. if everybody's like evil?
1: <laughs> That's, That's true. That's point.
0: Okay. That could have been a place to put it
1: been interesting to me because also I think the the character of Tubal Kane is not like a, a scene chewing, totally evil depraved bad guy. like there there's some hints of um uh, you, you Ray Winston plays him sympathetic enough like you kind of see his point of view like the the moment where he's praised to god and says am i not a man made in your image why won't you speak to me like there there's there's some interesting stuff going on with that character as well um that that yeah nuances the whole h- how evil are people or to what extent are they completely you know uh to use the calvinist term like totally depraved mm-hmm. uh Anyway, well, I, I like the character of of Cain as a I as really a foil for for a lot of of Noah's sort of philosophy and things. Yeah,
2: no, he was he was very well acted. I mean I'd like to think like Nick Nolte did one of the voices for the rock monsters, I for you know one of the rock angels. Like if he'd done that yeah. thing, he would have just been chewing the scenery and it would have been like, you know, because that's way how he does bad guys. And so I was right. thinking of that, like if Nick Nolte had been playing Cain, then it would have just been completely that there you know, there was much more ambiguity in the performance we do have. So anyway, just a thought I had, but
0: so getting back to the question of like adaptation of biblical stories, one question that I had as I watched the movie was, would I show this to my kids? Definitely not the younger kids, it's a little too violent for them. Um but I was wondering how, how it plays as a, a movie to kind of embody the story to them. Because a lot of times reading the scriptures can be kind of dry for kids. But on the other hand, sometimes when you show them a movie version that doesn't really match the scriptures, the movie version sticks and the scripture version doesn't. Um, I There was a girl in my ward growing up who had seen the living scriptures version of the prodigal son. And we had... An argument for about 10 minutes in Sunday school about who saw him first, and it was the dog. She was sure it was the dog. And I was like, There's no dog in the scriptures. There's there's not.
2: Well, that's. That, yeah.
0: So sometimes, with, depending on how young they are, like these details that are in the adaptation stick and are more important. The one thing I thought than, it like, got really
2: point. right that was just dead on was actually how the ark looked. I mean, in the, in the movie, the ark was basically a giant box. You know, usually you see like the ship with a rudder and it's got like, you know, it's, it's curved in the ends. And this one is like, no, it's a box because that's how it's de- in the scriptures. If you actually look at how it's described in the directions the Lord gives to Noah, it's a box. It's a big box because the idea is this is just going to be, you know, water coming from the sky, water coming from the ground. It's all violent. All they can do is just get in the box and wait it out. They're not going to be sailing. They're just going to be trying to survive the primordial chaos being unleashed on the world again. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what it is in the scriptures. And so the movie actually really, when I saw the actual design of the Ark, I was like, finally, there's actually a movie that gets the Ark's design right. Everybody else wants to draw out like a boat, you know? Right,
0: right. That is interesting. Which is, uh, yeah. I thought a good element of world building was having the the watchers building it with them because it seems like it would be uh-huh. really hard to build something that big with just, you know, whatever, six people Eight people.
1: <laughs> right, right. It's easy to strip a strip a, a tree when you're a rock monster. You just go. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: I thought the rock monster was the coolest thing, but yeah, really I was work. like, I love the rock monsters. Yeah. So. They
0: were the best part.
1: Yeah. To 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 answer your question, um, uh, Liz, about would I show it to my kids? It kind of goes back to the question about like what is the. N- what is the nature of this movie? Uh, the, the devotional entertainment spectrum, I think it's a, it's a thinking movie. I don't know that I would substitute it for a, a devotional approach in, in any way, shape or form. But I also think like there are some pretty serious themes here and I would want them to be old and mature enough to understand those themes. Like, uh, uh, and I don't think this—that's something that your average twelve-year-old is really going to quite be ready for. I mean, the rock monsters would be cool. And there are some glowing rocks and stuff, but like the part of the end where he's about to murder his two granddaughters—like this is this is some heavy stuff—and I would want someone to be emotionally mature enough to handle the questions that Ar- Aronofsky is asking of us through this movie. Um, Because they are not easily answered or questions that broker simple responses.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's pulling in, right, the Abraham and Isaac story at that point, right? It's very much like, and that's a question that has stumped philosophers for a long time. People have written books and books and books on how does this work with the way we understand God? How can we worship a God who would ask this?
2: I have a son named Noah, just in case. Me too! (laughs) But like I found like we agonized over that that name for months, honestly, and then we finally chose it. And then we started noticing like everybody in his grade is named Noah, too. And it's like was the most popular baby name for like for boys for like five years in a row.
0: Yeah, came around again. Well, at least it's a good name in the year when you're studying the Old Testament. When you study Book of Mormon, then it's not a great name. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, when he was like two or three years old, he was convinced he was actually the biblical Noah because he used to say, like, a long time ago when I built that boat, he'd actually say that. you're <laughs> we like,
0: that's awesome. okay. Well, there's one way to but, liken the scriptures unto yourself, right? Yeah. That goes back
1: <laughs> um, to the. I don't know if it's the, that goes back to the fountain and reincarnation and stuff. That's a that's a yeah. different movie. <laughs> that's a whole
0: different thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, you are like, yeah, maybe he was reincarnated. You never know. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> but yeah, like with the kids, I'd probably. Yeah, I'd probably wait till they were older. I mean, it would just depend on the kid too. Like, if if the kid was twelve and seemed to be able to take it, I'd probably do it. Let him watch it and just. Sure. But I make sure I talk with him. Like,
0: yeah, I think that's the one thing I try to you. Like
2: my, my dad was absolutely amazing about always like every movie we saw, even something like Over the Top by Sylvester Stallone, which is an arm wrestling movie that's <laughs> obscure. Like my dad would talk with us about it afterwards and be like, "Well, what did you learn from this? And what did they do? And what did we, you know?" And so, you know, I always make sure you don't just show it to them, but just ask them questions like, "What's going on? What do you think about this? Does this make any sense?"
0: Yeah, I I feel like
1: questions about over the top. You have a good dad there, Ivan. That's great. That's such a that's that's a weird movie too, but it's it's fun. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I was gonna say, I feel like that's where a lot of people who are very offended or stressed about movies like Noah come at it from the perspective of the movie has to stand all on its own and we don't talk about it at all. And if that doesn't convey what I want it to convey, then it's a bad movie. <laughs> okay. So one thing that's interesting in the movie is where they have uh, Methuselah and there's kind of this concept of priesthood and power that he has it's really interesting. What was your guys' thoughts on the portrayal of his power in the movie?
2: Well, like I said earlier, the review, uh, that it's a great setting for Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, th- that's basically what it was. Is It was magic. I mean, we had the whole, the snake shed its skin, which one of the script, I found on the screenwriters saying, for them, that was like the moment, they kept that in there, because like that's the moment the snake goes to the side of evil, so it sheds its good side mm-hmm. and leaves it behind. And goes on as, as the evil serpent. And so like in the movie, you even see like one of the Adam and Eve figures bows down to touch it when they're still in their encropted state. So it's like they're all glowy beings and stuff. And uh, so, which probably has to do with the Zohar, which is the, the mineral, which it comes is a, a glowy thing in the Bible. It's like when it talks about brightness in a couple of spots, it's like, it's also the name of a Kabbalistic text about being enlightened and moving <laughs> on. So, uh, you know, it, it, it touches the skin, so it's like the goods part. This this good skin, but which, which was touched by a magical being, is imbued with this magical power, and you know. So it'd be like some sort of like you know, in Dungeon Dragons, it'd be one of those rare artifacts or something you'd track down to
1: gives or you whatever. Power. But sure, sure, um, and the fact they would take the snake skin and wrap it around their hands, I think is a pretty clear reference to Jewish tefillin, um, uh, and I don't think Darren Aronofsky is. I'm pretty sure he's not Orthodox Jewish. Um,
2: he's, he, I think he's more agnostic, from what I've read.
1: Well, yeah, sure, sure, but I mean, you could be agnostic and and you could be agnostic Jewish. People. That's a thing.
2: Well, yeah, oh, that's right, what right. Harold Bloom said he was. I remember when Harold Bloom was like, "I can't judge Joseph Smith because I'm an agnostic Jew."
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. He certainly, he's certainly, uh, if he were, uh, of the three major camps, you know, Orthodox, Conservative, Reform. Aronofsky would clearly fall into the reform tradition Um, and you can be a reform agnostic Jew. I think that's, that's fair. But, but the, the idea of this, of the snake skin as a, as an artifact passed down uh, referencing this very specific practice that Orthodox Jews do when they wrap the, these things around them as part of their prayers. um, I thought that was touching. I liked it to sort of the, uh, uh, again, that's why I described this as like a very Jewish take on the Noah story. That was one of the most clear Jewish elements to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought the glowing rocks were super interesting. I I have never read through First Enoch, but I started reading through it at your guys' recommendation. And yeah, you find there in there they have glowing rocks and they use them to light the ark. And it's from a Mormon perspective very much like brother of jared and lighting the barges oh, yeah. with the with the glowing rocks so that's an interesting connection
1: the first time i saw the movie that was something i instantly went home and pulled out one of my hugh nibbly books and, and kind of flipped through it until i found of course nibbly has
0: something about it of
1: course yeah 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 and and he uh uh And he makes that very point that, like, there are these weird, strange, glowing rocks in Noah's Ark, and when the brother of Jared does that same thing, there are more than a few parallels going on there. So, I mean, you know, uh, everybody accuses Hugh Nibley of uh, (laughs) parallelomania, and maybe some of that, uh, you know, is is rightfully, uh, you know, justified, but it's an interesting parallel nonetheless. <laughs> and, and I was amused by that when I was like, Oh, I like, I was probably the only person in that theater in Bethesda, Maryland. Who's like, I know exactly what's going on here. This is amazing.
2: <laughs> well, like actually in the footnotes of the, uh, our church's scriptures of the Bible, it's something I saw when I was a kid. It, it said um, in the footnote, when I talked about the window in the ark, is a footnote that says some rabbis believe this was a glowing stone. Mm. Like that's actually in the footnotes in our scriptures. And so, I, you know, when I was older, and I actually checked, yeah, there, there's it's a minor tradition, but there's there's a definite. But I mean, a lot of stuff he takes from. You know, like I said, Zohar stuff. is the name of a Jewish Kabbalistic text about being enlightened. So Zohar is also a term that means like brighten, brightness, and the revival. But even things like um, Methuselah's magic sword, that's from rabbinical commentary. You know, there's there's a rabbi that wrote about Methuselah having. Although in there he talks about. Methuselah having a demon-slaying sword rather than, like, a one of fire that can wipe out humans. But it's still the, the same idea of, like, having this mystical sword that Methuselah had that doesn't really show up anywhere in the Bible but is in a lot of Midrash.
1: So the the one I read on that was um, – uh, I, I found that I, – I, in, in my rewatch in preparation for the podcast, I was like, what's going on with the sword? And I went and looked it up. There's at least, uh, I sorry, I don't have the reference in front of me, but like a 1918 translation called like the Legends of the Jews, Methuselah mm. was granted the flaming sword from Eden for a little mm. while. That's what that is, I think, supposed to huh. be. I'm That's like, probably
2: yeah, the, the flaming part, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I love the part where he just wipes out the entire army. I'm like, wow. Anyway, I'm like,
2: why didn't they use that? You know, I guess he must have taken it back. So like, why didn't they use that when the you know earlier army was storming the,
1: <laughs> the storming rock the art fair enough <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. For sure. but anyway but it, but it's it's there in in uh in in various jewish i don't know you know again pseudepigraphal texts sort of like first Enoch, but i guess even more obscure is that methuselah gets to wield that that you know sword slash lightsaber for you know for for, yeah, for a period of time at least and it's yeah. kind of fun that he threw it in the movie for five seconds
0: yeah. I just it's really neat to think about all of these expansions on the biblical text because they are really really short when you when you think about it. And so sometimes it's fun to get into these interesting asides and mm, accuracy maybe maybe not, but it's still interesting, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean with with, with Noah, he just decided like I'm going to go full on epic fantasy here. Mm-hmm. And I mean like with the chosen which you mentioned earlier, they're trying to more like everything we're doing is within the realm of historical plausibility. Like, you know, it probably may not have happened this way, but you know, I've seen people complain in the chosen, for example, that they've got Matthew writing everything down. And so they're like, you know, that's, that's a fundamentalist thing that the gospels are completely reliable or whatever. Well, yeah, it kind of is. But at the same time, Matthew's a tax collector. He knew how to read and write. He could have afforded writing materials. It's within the realm of historical plausibility. So while it may not necessarily be even what happened or close to what happened, it's still plausible. Whereas you know, Aronofsky was like, just like rock monsters, flame, you know, I mean, it's, it's all just epic fantasy. It's like the Lord of the Rings, but the Bible. So it's, it's great. And that's, you know,
1: airing yeah. on the side of awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's what it's, it's It's the rule of cool.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that exact thing. It's the rule of cool from Dungeons and Dragons. Is this going to yeah. make it better? Throw it in. Do it. Do it. Yeah. The Nippling right. reference is, is um, I went and looked it up. Uh, it's chapter 26 of An Approach to the Book of Mormon. The title is Strange Ships and Shining Stones, A Not-So-Fantastic Story, where he talks about the Jaredite barges and and does a lot of the parallels to various ancient uh, uh, stories, including the stuff from the Book of Enoch, like we've been talking about. So, so that was, uh, if anybody wants to go look that up on their own, it's available on the Maxwell Institute's website. Okay, cool.
0: That's, I always love myself some Hugh Nibley, so it's always interesting to see what he's found.
1: <laughs> Got some good stuff. Yep. Some dated stuff, but it's all good, even if it's dated. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, like Jonathan Green over at Times and Seasons blog said, like, even Hugh Nibley himself, if he were alive today, would expect a lot of his stuff was out of date because yeah. he wasn't saying he was the final word. He was just saying, with what we know now, this is what I've come up
1: with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: For sure. Well, I think we've covered pretty much everything, so we're going to close by doing some ratings. Our first rating is for content. Um, celestial, Telestial, Terrestrial, Outer Darkness. Where would you place this movie?
1: So okay. I'll go first. I'm, I'm going to put this in the Celestial because I feel like the moments of violence or, or the, the, the objectionable material is placed there very deliberately to serve a purpose in the story. And I I don't find that kind of material actually objectionable. Um, but but it does need to be taken seriously and just be aware that it is a PG-13 movie. and But it's not gratuitously so. Uh, so I didn't think there was any moment that I was like, oh, that was just thrown in there just to have some I'm violence. Gonna,
2: okay.
1: uh, I liked okay. the whole thing.
2: Just say, I, I was going to go terrestrial but like when the moon is full you know it's glory of the moon like so full moon terrestrial but you know i pretty much agree with everything carl just said so i don't know maybe lower degree of that is to me it's like like i said i I consider it an (laughs) absolutely fascinating failure so to me like every time there's a choice he makes the wrong choice but is it so interestingly so to me it's it's not quite celestial because i just don't think it succeeds but i just would love i love watching it so you know to me that's
0: yeah i mean if you if you understand what's going on in the biblical text, it it's pretty violent mm-hmm. and pretty scary. So, you could make that argument that it's it's definitely where it needs to be to portray that kind of story,
1: right? And I got to say uh Ivan, you've said several times now and I even used the phrase like it, it failed sufficiently interesting. I got to say on the rewatch, I my opinion of it has changed. I think it succeeds more than it than it fails. Um but that was not my initial reaction when I watched it first in the theaters. So, so that's well, interesting. It stands up to rewatch, at least for me. Oh, I'd rewatch it. Yeah, in a going
0: second. on that, let's talk about the artistic merit. Where would you rate it? One to five popcorn balls. Five.
2: Oh yeah, five. Easy. The, 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 I agree. It's, it's, I agree. And there's a couple of CGI spots that aren't like perfect, that are a little obviously, but other than that, I mean, it's just it's amazingly directed, and it's you know technical on a technical level, it's great, and yeah, yeah artistically, yeah. I mean, this is a. I mean. This, he's pouring his heart okay. and soul into it. And he's following the muse wherever it's going to take him. So, yeah.
0: And it's got yeah. just such a well-crafted message throughout, yeah. right? It's not like just the message is incidental to the story. It's like this was crafted to say something about justice and mercy. And you can tell that he's thought about it. And it's a complex message, not a one-note message. Yeah. 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 So Gospel Connections, where would you put that on one-to-five apricots?
1: Hmm.
0: And what you can learn from the movie. I mean, I don't think it's a devotional movie, as we've discussed, by any stretch of the imagination, but it does have some serious thought in it about moral issues.
2: Yeah, that was a hard one to think. I still haven't quite figured out where I'd put that one. I guess I'll probably put it like a four, just because, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a great conversation starter. So even though, you know, I think like I said, a fascinating failure as a movie, I think it would be actually a really great movie for with the right crowd to actually really get into some seriously interesting discussions. So yeah,
1: I, I would agree with a four as well, because I think it would create seriously interesting discussions, but part of those discussions is the, the fact that uh, large chunks of it are kind of not morally edifying. <sighs> Like and and in interesting ways though, uh, and and it presents again this question like the moment where where Noah goes to the camp and he, and there's just a uh, just a, a little it's almost a cameo of himself like they got Russell Crowe he looks at one of the guys who's there like eating animals and selling children and doing all these horrible terrible things and the the person looks at him and it's himself, um and so he's he's trying uh you know Aronofsky is is trying to Talk about you know almost the question for Noah: Am I worth saving? And and that is an interesting uh, and sort of a dark uh, view of of that question: Is mankind worth saving? A very personalized version of that. I don't know if that question is a morally edifying question, but it's certainly a very morally interesting question. And and so uh, that's why I would I with Ivan would land on on four um, apricots.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely a strong 4. I got to agree with you guys as well. So, I definitely think it's the first time we've, we've had watching.
1: like absolute consensus. Well,
2: Okay, I'm going to change long. the 3 just to <laughs> just,
0: <laughs> just, just to shake it up. Just to oh. shake it up.
2: It's It's okay.
0: Oh, it's okay. I I thought it was really fun. I was very impressed with the movie. I hadn't seen it before. So, I thought it was great. Um, and this has been pop culture on the apricot tree Oh, I forgot, never mind, I gotta do Where where you can find us, actually, hold on um, So, uh, you can find my writing On lizbusby.com Carl, where can we find you?
1: Uh, I'm just on Facebook, you're welcome to friend me And participate in conversations there uh, I try to run a, a pretty tight ship With lots of different people from different walks of life And we've had some good conversations uh, This very week So, it's uh, you're always welcome to come and hang out And argue with me politely there.
0: And Ivan, where can we find you?
2: Uh, if you have somebody going to Arizona State University that's like a freshman or sophomore, they can take <laughs> writing classes from me. <laughs> Other than that, I used to be online on a blog, that, but I'm not going to go into that issue. So I don't, maybe at some point I will find somewhere that's a home base. But right now I don't really have one. So.
0: Sounds good. And this has been pop culture on the apricot tree, encouraging you to seek after everything virtuous, lovely of good report or praiseworthy. See you next time.